Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decisions to trade is yours. Wheat. What a week we've had. One of the things I think we've all learned is if Andrew makes a prediction about the price of wheat, do the exact opposite. Because I've had two predictions on wheat and both times the market's gone the opposite direction. The first time Mr. Putin or the Russians stepped in with a rumour that made the market go up when I said it was going to go down. And this week, Vivergo decided to close or announced that they're going to close their factory as from the end of September with a fairly hard-hitting report about how the government has not uh, introduced biofuel into the fuel system in, under the E10. This has had a, had a dramatic effect on prices in the last 24 hours. And this morning, as I, as I talk... The market is two pounds down as we start, so it's, a, it's been a really heavy hit. Current values for feed wheat are for November 168x farm, and feed barley 163x farm. The whole sector is down. It's a pretty gloomy price prospect in the immediate short term. I come back to the point we made before that we have to get down to export levels in order to clear a bit of surplus in order to tighten the balance sheet. So I'm afraid in the short term things aren't looking too too bright a prospect. So the prediction for the next week is going to be sideways to down. Uh, I think that's the best we can hope for. There may be some profit taking uh, done, which might push the price up a ditty bit, but there isn't anything seriously bullish out there to get your teeth into. Oilseed rape um, is is floating sideways, not really doing anything. Um, the biggest story on oilseed rape is in fact on new crop. The flea beetle is out there decimating the crop and uh, I wouldn't recommend anyone selling any new crop oilseed rape. Um, probably the only thing we would really seriously get you to consider uh, trading at the moment, and, and this is taking a much longer term view, I think you really must seriously look at the, the 2019 prices. They are still very good in the 160s, and I think that's the base of, of malting barley contracts, feed barley contracts, feed wheat contracts. I think we need to get in there and get a percentage of your tonnage booked because these are very good prices. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. RTK Farming is the UK's leading independent supplier of RTK signal to the farming industry. With RTK delivered via radio or SIM card, RTK Farming can work with any make of GPS equipment, from aftermarket systems such as Trimble and Topcon to factory-fitted equipment. With low annual subscription costs and discounts for multiple vehicles, RTK Farming is the solution. For more information, go to rtkfarming.co.uk. And now it's time for our feature. This morning I've got Paul Hoverson with me. Paul is the manager of the farms and estates at Saul Farms and he has a number of other roles which are way too many for me to remember so I'm going to hand over to him to tell you. 
Uh, I do uh, the Saul estate uh, that includes Hayden, a neighbor. I'm director of farming at Holcomb Farming Company, who is part of the Holcomb estate. And then uh, we have also got a little business in Poland, about 900 hectares uh, in northern Poland. Okay, so that keeps you a little busy. Is that why we're here on a Saturday morning? That is uh, why we're here on a Saturday morning. It's obviously a, a nice, quiet and peaceful and uh, a lovely time to just sit and have a good chat. Good idea. So let's start with you, you I believe, were Farmer of the Year with the Farmers Weekly Awards. What, what year was that? 2014. How do you see the future of farming? I think at the moment we have got one of the most interesting and challenging times we've had in agriculture for many years. Farming has always been challenging, but but today we have got huge climatic uh, uh, influences on our cropping. Uh, We've just experienced uh, the most breaking records in the the hottest, the driest, and the wettest and the coldest all within one growing season. And, and now we've got Brexit ahead of us. So I find it incredibly interesting. I find it a great challenge because in times of uh, challenges, there's also great opportunities. OK, I mean, the, the, the process of farming itself, I mean, it's something that, you know, us traders have a, have a sort of fleeting opinion on, telling someone they should have done something after the event. But the actual process of, of rotation and... And, and the decision-making processes. Do you think we're in a healthy place as an industry? And uh, No, I do not. Uh, statistically, we are in a very uh, sad situation on a national and a worldwide uh, because our soils clearly are less resilient today than they used to be to these uh, climatic influences. We've seen this in stagnating yields, so not only are we struggling with the climatic uh, influences, the freak weather become more frequent, but we've also got an issue that we cannot, uh, our yields are not improving in line with what science and research gives to us at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I've heard you talk on this in the past. I mean, is it an an attitude thing with farmers or is it a um, lack of wanting to change what previous generations have done? I think it's uh, partly the system we have been farming on in recent years and and we will no doubt talk more about Brexit but but the way the subsidy system has been looking after farmers since 1993 when we first started to get set aside and subsidies to crop production or not crop production uh, meant that actually physical farming became less interesting because it was underpinned by a subsidy system. And I do believe that the subsidy system itself is probably the biggest reason why farming has not developed. Hmm. So what happens next? Well, I think we are now going to uh, certainly what I hear and I sense will be around the corner that Farmers will have to farm again, uh, and we will have to use the subsidies to either be more efficient or to be better farmers. So the production of the crop will be more important than actually signing some forms. Yeah, and and rotation. Tell me, because you've you've been very, very forward-thinking on rotation or possibly backward-thinking at at Holcomb, is that right? Yeah, but it's interesting that I started my farming career, left 
uh, Agricultural College in 1978, and in 19, late 70s uh, was when we had the biggest increase in crop output in history, so in percentage terms, because we got new varieties, we got uh, pesticides, we got, got fungicides, we got growth regulators, and we adopted some growing systems uh, from Schleswig-Holstein, it was popular called at that time. We put all that together and we had huge increases. By the mid-90s, we had already started to see signs of a stagnating yield mm -hmm. and issues with resistance. And uh, I was very fortunate to meet uh, a very good uh, friend of mine uh, that became a friend of mine called Jim Orson, who was technical director at NIAP at that time. And he said, Paul, we have got issues ahead of us. We must start to uh, look at more traditional rotations and integrated farming approach. Right. You've, let's, let's move on to Brexit. You've mentioned Brexit a couple of times. Obviously, that's uh, a, a, an unknown entity. Where do you think that one's going to pan out? I can uh, see it being a really big challenge for us. If everything goes in the right direction, so currency, uh, local climate, uh, somebody being more unfortunate or some countries being more f unfortunate than us, uh, we could have moments of uh, benefits. We could also have moments when it goes wrong for us. So if the currency and the climate went against us and tariffs and, and uh, overproduction in other parts of the world, I could see our prices uh, be under a lot of pressure and I could also see us politically be under a lot of pressure. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, obviously, as, as a Dane, uh, you must have... Um had an opinion on the result that famous day when we came back and realised that, that some of us wanted to leave. What was your, what's your thoughts on that? I still remember the 23rd of June uh, waking up uh, to listen to the news. To that extent, I actually got out of bed early to listen to the result on television. And, uh, and I'd, it took me some time to recover to actually uh, realise and accept that we as a nation had decided to leave Europe because I think we live in a global world and only together will we be stronger. If everything was right within Europe, uh, it can be discussed, but as a trading nation, we need strengths. And we have now in recently, since the uh, day of the, uh, of the elect, you know, the vote, we uh, have now seen how the big uh, powers of Russia and and recently Trump, uh, how influential they can be on on the world market. And I think that's just the beginning. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? But um, the only thing, as I see agriculture, can only be reactionary. Um, will Mr Gove make the right decisions to um, help farming survive in its current state? Probably not. I don't think he will. And, and that's not being at all, it's my personal opinion. But it's interesting to see that some of those that voted to get out are probably those that are the most concerned today. Because I think that uh, security that they had built around their businesses entirely relied on a big subsidy. And I think Michael Goh has been clear that he will support, but he's not just going to give money because you are farming. I think you'll need to farm in a more sustainable way, and I think you'll also have to prove that you are an active and engaged 
and uh, is living in the modern world and trying to take up the challenge of improving yields and output and quality. Yeah, so if you've got a forward open mind, there's going to be opportunities that appear because because when uh, any regulation comes in, there's always some form of bonanza that occurs as well as all of the problems. So it's a matter of having your eyes open. And I think uh, Michael Gove himself has come uh, with a statement when I once had the opportunity to listen to his policy that he said we should be unique because we can produce better product. We have actually got the best climate to produce arable crops climatically if you look around the world. We get the rain, we get the right sun, we get the right water as well and we've got very good soils. So we should produce a better product that is a cleaner product we do not uh, need to use nasty uh, chemicals if we get our rotation right Mm -hmm. we can be unique and and i think the opportunity would be there to not uh, fear america and and gmo overloading with cheap product we can produce a quality product that we can export around the world and i think that's our greatest opportunity yeah, that's well, that's the positive thinking I've come to get used to with you. Let's have a few lighter questions. Um, what's the best bit of your job? My best bit of the job is to uh, see a, a farm that has got a great team that understand the objectives, who is well-educated, and the greatest pleasure is to uh, drive around the farm a morning like today. It's a beautiful morning, and there's a great team now establishing some hopefully good crops going forward and we have got a great start to a new year and I think that's one of the things that inspires us in farming that every year is a new challenge and every year is a new opportunity and uh, a a gentle drive around the farm on a Saturday morning yes would be great. Is your wardrobe as tidy as your farmyard? Ah, interesting question. As you know, we are sitting in a house we've just recently moved in. One of the things that hasn't been uh, finished yet is the dressing room, but uh, (laughs) I have got a very tidy wife as well. So uh, I do believe that it's very important that everybody involved in farming, that they are tidy minds and they've got a tidy yard and they've got some very sophisticated machinery and and it starts, and it's all the way through. (laughs) What advice would you give a young entrant to farming? I think that uh, farming at the moment, uh, statistically, again, is in a a sad situation that we know the average age is 58, 60, and personally I'm obviously in that age group as well. I'm younger. But I, but I have uh, also always said that I should use my uh, latter end of my career to help some young people into it. The industry needs good young people. And it's very important that we educate the younger generation for that wonderful opportunity there is because we need new land managers. There are talks about the lost generation and a generation that not only was lost because we didn't get new people into the industry, but it was lost in the objectives of the education of that uh, generation. And that relates back to when we talked about the subsidised farming system. 
So the top of the uh, subjects uh, and objectives of education was short-term financial models. Mm-hmm. And we had talked about rotation, and I think a solid rotation with a long-term sustainable financial model is what we need to do. And we need to make sure they have got strengths in their uh, education and in their mind to develop this agriculture that we all need uh, for have, uh, utilizing these opportunities. So yes, go back to the young generation. There's wonderful opportunities. We need to get them well-educated. We need to get them some good experience in how to manage soils and crops and market them and to take part in the bigger debate. Excellent. Is it easier being a farm manager than a farmer? Probably is. And I've often been asked the question, why did you not become a farmer yourself? And why did you get into management? I can answer that very easily. I I didn't have a family farm to take over. And I was the youngest of three brothers, and, and the two older brothers were brighter than I am, and they got some careers in other aspects of life. Uh, I had a passion for farming, and I also realized that farm management uh, was a, an interesting avenue I wanted to go down. And I have enjoyed it, and I've had great opportunities because I've had somebody else's uh, estate to work with, and that's not being only that I have had some other people's money to do it. But I've had some employers that has uh, supported us to try and be different and try to live in a more open world, and, and that really is what I found the most exciting part of it. I, I think that um, as a farm manager, sometimes it's easier than being the actual farmer because you have to justify your actions, and justifying turning down a good price is difficult to do. You know that at year end, if the price has dropped, you're going to get a hard time, so you perhaps are more, more prepared to take a trading decision for some of the tonnage. But I think... We have worked together for many years, and I can still remember the very first time <laughs> I heard you speak about uh, options. And Was that when my boss said, don't <laughs> listen to him, he's an idiot? Yes, I, I can remember the comment that uh, afterwards uh, the message came across to say, you've heard it, but now you can forget about it again. <laughs> but actually, what that helped uh, and what we have worked on since and what I think is important to have is a strategy because as a manager responsible for big quantities uh, and big budgets of product, uh, produce and product, uh, it's even more important to have a strategy because memories are very short uh, and we all like to achieve the highest and the ultimate goal. But I think we've all have had to, to come to terms and, and accept that the grain trading nowadays are influenced of so many things and it's a world market that a strategy has become so much more important. And as a manager, you can defend a strategy, but you cannot defend to do a mistake. No, very good point. But I'm, I'm not undermining uh, the value of having a good relationship with a grain merchant and, and I'm pleased uh, and I... I really appreciate the time and all the discussions we've had over the years because through that we've started to build up this strategy. Because 
I don't think it's the 50 pence on the day or answering phone calls from grain merchants all morning. It is actually to be prepared to make a big decision on the right time. I couldn't have put that better myself. Um, do you think we'll, we'll end up with cooperation again within farming? So one of the reasons why the Danish pig industry and the dairy industry has been successful with their, with their cooperatives has been that they not only get a price for the pig meat or the milk or the cheese mm-hmm. or the milk they supply, then the cooperative own the processing arm. So when the price on the produce go down, there's always more profit in the processing. So that's where they then get the bonus back from the processing arm. Great. Paul, thank you very, very much for this morning. It's really, really excellent stuff, uh, and I really appreciate your time. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single-variety, cold-pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste, and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat. OK, time for a beer. What are we drinking this week? Um, this week, Andrew, we've got a uh, it's Berry Bite Fruit Beer by uh, the Panther Brewery. So it's kind of local to us. It's on our, again, on our doorstep next to our customers um, uh, near Saul. It's 5.5%. Fruit-based beer, slightly hazy uh, beer, crown full of sweet berry flavour uh, and aromas. Um, what's your first thoughts, Andrew? Well, I'll have a quick sip, I think. Oh, <laughs> strange initial uh, reaction there. Well, it's um, flavoursome, interesting, and uh, at five and a half percent, I think that's going to uh, possibly sort me out quicker than some of the others we've drunk. It's, uh, it's probably a bit too trendy for you, Andrew. It's in an uh, aluminium bottle. It's uh, probably designed for the uh, the hipsters in life, the top not wearing um, sort of youth of today's generation, Andrew. So unfortunately, probably not quite your scene. What's the top not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there we, we just said it there. Um, the uh, the malt comes from uh, crisp malting. Uh, the barley that is used is is a flagon, which you all well know. Next year we'll have a uh, direct link to the barley grown at Saul. Um, so by it's Saul Farms. some of our barley, isn't it? Exactly, close to home. That's we how we like Saul to keep Farms. it. We love crisp malting and we love flagon. Perfect. What more do you want in a beer? So, what are we going to talk about this week? Got to be the weather. Yeah, we all love a bit of weather chat, don't we, Andrew? Well, I think this has been the most extreme year, the uh, the worst drought in most working people's living memory. Absolutely, yeah. I was um, barely a thought in 1976, but uh, I'm sure your training history and the year, the years you got on me, you'll um, you be able on? to recount what happened in 76. But there's a lot of comparisons uh, from what we've just seen. So what, what do you reckon, Andrew? I, well, I can remember 1976, and it's nice to think that you were a thought, or even that you've been thinking. But in 1976, I was 14, and I can remember being really fed up with the fact that harvest was finished before I finished school, so I couldn't help with the corn carting. 
Um, but other than that, I can't remember the details of the quality of the crop. Now we've had the experience of a proper drought ourselves. Yeah, I wonder whether I'll experience another one like this in my lifetime. Well, you're getting on a bit. I think the weather is, is a subject that my, my wife calls the weather at certain times of the year my porn. Uh, in other words, I'm so obsessed with it, everything goes out the window for me to watch Carol Kirkwood first thing in the morning turning sideways on the screen. I can definitely see the uh, attraction there, Andrew. I'm, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> well, she's certainly the thinking man's weather girl. It is 100% fundamental to what we do, and unless we can take control of the weather, there isn't anything other than react to it, and that's basically where we're going as, as traders, waiting to see what impact the weather has at any given time. Absolutely. It's uh, the fundamental reason for the grain trade and, and completely in control of the volatility of the markets. Well, obviously, we spend a lot of our time analysing the weather, as does everyone else who trades commodities. Farmers live and die with whether they can actually get on uh, due to too much rain, too little rain on a daily basis. And it obviously is not just about the UK. It's a worldwide phenomena. And all around the world, there can be droughts that pushes the price up for grain all around the rest of the world. So it is something that half the time you're guessing and half the time you're trying to remember the last time a drought in Australia or a drought in Canada or a drought in China what effect did it have and what's the best thing to do in terms of price and helping your farmers gain a better return for their grain. Yeah well um, absolutely weather's uh, fundamentally important and the the big large trading houses will have a lot of access to um, satellite imagery um, see the vegetative stages um, within uh, the crops um, and within various continents. So there's a lot of information at hand, and, and with modern-day um, apps and technologies, you've got Twitter, so we can very easily at the click of a button see what's happening in South America, Argentina, US. Should, do you think we should get a satellite, Webby? Absolutely, Andrew, yeah. Should we send Joe Beardshire up on it as well? <laughs> <laughs> he's very good at analysis. Yeah, he's a very conscientious bloke. He would uh, read the ins and outs of it and well, perhaps, uh, be spot on. Perhaps we could get him to build one, because he probably could. <laughs> and it would fly so now we have the access to you know weather weather apps around the world that give us the information we need we can see on the bbc a weather map that shows us where it's raining and where it's not raining uh, at any given time, anyone can see whether whether the key regions, if they know where they are, and it isn't that complex to find them, they can actually see it, which is which has kind of taken the power away from the major trading companies from knowing what the next crop is to everybody knows it. So there is much more transparency in price, isn't there? And any information's at hand very easy, very simply. So I mean, as a result, the volatility is going to be more extreme because the information's so quick nowadays. What's, what's your what weather site do you go on? You'll have to phone in for, for exact information, but there's a very good website called World Ag Weather, which gives satellite imagery and, and you see the, the global weather patterns. So yeah, it's a good website. Oh, I thought you used RedTube for your weather. <laughs> That's another day, Andrew. The reality of that is you still have to form an opinion on the basis of what you see and the knowledge of knowing what the weather's going to do. When it's obviously a drought and it doesn't rain every day and it's 80 degrees every day, you can be fairly predictive about what's going to happen to the plants. And certainly this summer has taught us a lot about how plants suffer under that stress. But sometimes it's a guess. And I think that the dynamic of trading 
with the weather is if it is a true weather market it is incredibly dangerous trading you take a, a guess let's say we think there's a drought and you sold some grain forward at a good price and you cash settle it because you think this market's going up and then the next thing you know there's a there's a crazy rainstorm or something that makes the market go down dramatically and you've got it wrong yeah. the old saying goes weather markets are for fools and the reality is it is flipping a coin on whether the market's going to be right or wrong. This summer, every day was dry, every day was sunny, and I can safely say that hasn't happened in my career, and certainly in 1976 it did, but that's the only time it consistently, day after day, was dry, hot, dry, hot, and we saw the impact. Yeah, in, in, the, in the years I've been working with you, um, you've talked about there that uh, weather markets are fools, but you've also taught me that... Um, fundamentals are king um, or key to a market yeah well fundamentals is the gospel or the bible it is the the rules of how you trade if there is too much grain and that's based upon how many acres are planted and what the weather does to that grain people plan to plant lots of acres and then it rains too much and they can't plant them there is less supply if there's less supply and the same amount of consumption then the price goes up and it is fundamentals are king. And it's all about, always going to be about, the weather. So getting accurate weather assessment is the critical issue. Can you truthfully get a weather forecaster that can say you are definitely going to get rain in the middle of May next year? No, because it's impossible to call that. And so long as that's the case, our market is going to remain volatile. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewingrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.